Notice with me Psalm 23 and verse 3. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. So God is a restorer. He's a restorer. In Jeremiah 30, verse 17, God said, For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal. To restore is to bring something back to its former condition, right? To recover something that has been lost. Then again, in Joel chapter 2, verse 25, the Lord promised, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. So that means God can reverse your misfortunes, you know. Even if tragedy has occurred, even if the enemy has slipped in and uh, created havoc or damage, he, he can right the wrongs, make up for your losses. The things that have set you back can be removed. And not only that, God can accelerate your progress. In other words, something bad may have happened to you, and you may think, well, now, you know, that set me back a decade. It'll take me years to pay off that debt. It'll take me years to get back to that place I once was. But he can restore to you years, not just hours or minutes, years, where you can be, boom, right where you would have been if that had never happened in the first place. Amen. God is a restorer of our lives. But the main thing, really the primary thing he wants to restore is your soul. Is your soul. But what exactly is the soul? I have to take a few minutes to talk about that so that we all know what exactly it is God restores. And for you that know this, this might be a reminder. And for others, you know, listen carefully. Man exists on three dimensions, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is called the inner being or the inner man in Romans 7.22 and also in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. It's also called the hidden man of the heart in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. And it's obvious what the body is. You, you know that it's self-evident. However, sometimes when the Bible refers to the flesh, it's not exactly speaking only of your body, but of the sinful nature that's in the body. For example, Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So does that mean if I walk by the Spirit, I'll never be hungry? I'll never be sleepy? No, because later on in verses, what is it, 19 to 21, it lists the works of the flesh, and they're all sinful things. So it's not a sin to be sleepy. Just don't sleep now while I'm talking. But... Amen. But the word soul, and that's what we want to focus on, the word soul is more problematic. And that's because it is used in different ways in Scripture. It's not always used the same way. Sometimes, for example, sometimes the word soul in Scripture simply means a person, an individual. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, in the New King James Version, it says, while the ark was being prepared, Noah's ark, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved. See, but he's not talking about uh, the spirit, or he's not talking about the inner part. He just simply means eight individuals. Some translations say that, eight, eight persons. And when he means saved, he means they were, they were delivered or, or protected from the devastation of the flood. Then again, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, after Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, we read, and they were added that day to them about 3,000 souls. But your soul doesn't receive eternal life. Your soul does not get born again. Most likely what this simply means is 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Hallelujah. And 
most Christians use the word spirit and soul uh, interchangeably. Most Christians in, in the body of Christ, they assume that spirit and soul are exactly the same thing. But that's incorrect. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, we read, May your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if we're going to say that the spirit and the soul are the same thing, then we could also say the spirit and the body are the same thing. Because they're listed separately. Paul lists them separately. So they could not be the same thing. So in other words, sometimes or very often when the word soul is used, it's not talking about just a person. Like we sometimes say, oh, Sister Zama Zama, she's a dear soul. We just mean she's a, a good person or a precious person. But sometimes when the word soul is used in Scripture, when it's specifically used, it refers to your mind. Your mind. So the restoring of your soul is the restoration of your mind. Now with your body, you understand this, of course, you operate in the physical realm. With your spirit, you operate in the spiritual realm. But in between the flesh and the spirit is your mind or your soul. And with your mind, you reason, you think, you also express emotions, you see. And the soul is the door to the spirit. It is the link between the physical and the spiritual. You see, um, the word of God has the power to change our lives. The gospel has the power to, to, to give people eternal life. But, but if you are not listening, if you were unconscious, then, then that word would not affect you. In other words, you could go to sleep listening to a recording of, of the word of God, but that's not going to somehow affect you magically just because the sound is out in the air. It has to go through your mind. The soul is the door to the heart. Are you listening to me? Amen. The soul, I'm still talking about the soul for just a moment. The soul and the spirit are connected. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we read that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. How sharp is the word of God? Piercing. So that means a lot of times the word of God will pierce you. You feel like you're being cut or an incision is made in you. When Peter preached in Jerusalem, when the apostles preached, sometimes it says they were cut to the heart. And they said, what shall we do, right? So it's piercing to the division of soul and spirit. And the Greek word for division in this verse also means to separate, to separate. So that means the soul and the spirit are not identical. In this room, I can separate the males from the females. They're not identical. Everybody is one or the other. Nobody here is both. If you don't know that, write that down in your notebook. Amen. Amen. However, though they are not identical, they must be linked and closely associated with one another because it's only the word of God that can separate them. The soul and the spirit are so closely united, it takes a special instrument to disconnect them. The easy-to-read version says this, talking about God's word, it cuts deep to the place where the soul and the spirit are joined. Whew. So it would be good for you to think this way. You are a spirit being. You have a soul, and you live in a body. Amen? And know this, your soul, which I've told you specifically speaking, is your mind. Your soul is a spiritual thing. Your soul is a spiritual thing. In physical death, the spirit of a man leaves his body. And he takes his soul with him. 
So uh, when, I, when, I, when I leave home to come to the office, I depart from my house, but maybe I'll take my cell phone with me. Well, I am not my cell phone, you see. But, you know, they're closely linked. And maybe that's true for you, too, where you probably wouldn't be caught with, dead without your cell phone, maybe, you know. And, and, and we could scroll through your cell phone, and, and, and even if we didn't know whose phone is this, if we could open it by taking a glance at pictures and things like that, we could immediately tell, oh, this is so-and-so's phone. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. So it's your soul that needs restoring. And this is very important. No restoration in your life, restoration from God, no restoration would be complete or permanent without a restoration of your soul. If you're looking for a main point, that's a good one. No restoration from God in your life would be complete or permanent or lasting without a restoration of your soul. So today, you may be praying for some form of restoration, a restoration in your marriage or in your uh, uh, family relationships, a restoration of your finances, a restoration of your health, a restoration of your ministry or of your leadership or a place of influence or a restoration of anything that the enemy has stolen from you, you see. Many people, you might be, you know, seeking from God a restoration, but ultimately, ultimately, the thing that must be restored, maybe we could say the first thing that needs to be restored is your soul. Are you listening to me? So here's the thing, and this is, this is the point that really has just been bothering me for actually some time. There are many people who are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, who are mentally troubled. Some Christians are suffering from what I will call the big D's. The big D's. The letter D. Because they are deeply disappointed, discouraged, dismayed, dejected, distraught, disturbed, and depressed. Are they saved? Yes. Uh, do they have eternal life? Yes. Are they filled with the Holy Spirit? In many cases, yes. So everything's okay. No. No. In short, we could say that they have no peace of mind. Amen. And it is actually startling. And I, and, and I, and I want to be careful. I, I, I don't mean to say this in a way that sounds like harsh criticism of anybody who's here or anybody who's watching online. But I just have to, you know, lovingly say this. It's startling how many Christians are taking prescribed antidepressants. I'll just be real frank with you. We, every year, we have students and and. You know, if we ask them, are you taking drugs? They say no. But then later we find out that they have been prescribed by someone antidepressants. And let me help you. That isn't medicine. Because it doesn't cure anything. These things are uh, tranquilizers and sedatives. They do not cure anybody. Are you listening to me? Basically, it is simply a more socially acceptable narcotic. It may be legal, but it's still nothing more than a narcotic. And, 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 and I'm not saying that it's a sin for, for someone to, to, to maybe take these things, but, I'll, but I would like to say this. 
And if you cannot function normally without antidepressants, you are addicted. And you better admit it to yourself. Don't say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then suddenly, you know, you know where's my, where are my pills? Where are my pills? Where are my pills? And you, 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 you lose it. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, when I was a student in, in the university, um, I attended a home meeting uh, every week, a, a fellowship Bible study. And there was one young couple who often came to this Bible study. And the, the, the husband was a fine man. He was, uh, he was very considerate. He was a gentle person. He seemed like, a, and I, think, I believe he was, a very loving husband. And, and the wife, she was, um, you know, she was a very pretty uh, uh, young lady. And, 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 you know, had a good personality and, and a lot, uh, lot going for her. And I know, without a doubt, they both loved the Lord. No question about it. And then some years later, I was uh, back in America, and I was informed that that woman had passed away. And now she's young. You know, and this was a few years ago. She was, you know, she was not very old at all, you know, not old enough to die. So I attended the funeral, and there it was disclosed to us that she had taken her own life which was, you know, really shocking. By the way, I just want to say this to you. You know, sometimes people are toying with the idea of taking their own life, you know. But, you know, consider the misery, the heartache, the sorrow that that will leave behind for all of the people who love you and know you and believe in you. And, and one step further, if it's wrong to kill or murder someone else, it's equally wrong to murder yourself. Nowhere in the Bible is suicide ever considered noble. Now, sometimes in some godless cultures, you know, killing yourself is considered like, you know, a, a respectable thing to do in some situations. But that is never true in Scripture. Nowhere in the Bible is anyone ever commended for taking their own life. God never encouraged anybody to take their own life. Furthermore, at that funeral, it was revealed that this woman had been under the care of a psychiatrist, and he had been prescribing to her various medications. And again, these are behavioral altering medications. This doesn't cure anything. And I just don't believe that that's God's best. I said, I just don't believe that's God's best. If we believe that God can heal our bodies, we must also believe that he can restore our souls. Are you listening to me? Look at your neighbor and say, that's good. Hallelujah. That's really good. Amen. But often, the restoration of our souls requires patience. More patience than many people are willing to exercise. Now, God can do some things instantly. And I thank God for that, right? Um, I, I know uh, one woman in the ministry and uh, she, uh, she and her husband are serving the Lord together and I've you know, I've talked with both of them before, etc. And this woman shared with me her story, which I did not know. Um, some years ago, I think it began with worry. Worrying about different things in life and her family, her finances. And, and, and the worrying became chronic. It became more than just like a, an isolated event. And she, something really dark and heavy came on her. And it so enveloped her that she lost hope. She almost lost the will to live, where she just didn't care anymore about anything. 
And she was going down, down in a bad way. She was, she was mentally disturbed, not normal, not normal for anybody. And she said this, that she somehow was invited to attend a meeting with uh, Brother Rodney Howard Brown. In fact, we, me and my wife were attending a meeting in Florida with Rodney Howard Brown. And at lunch, this woman told us the story. And she said that uh, she went to that meeting, I think almost by accident. You know, someone brought her or something like that. And that, uh, I, I don't know exactly how, how it happened, but uh, Reverend Rodney Howard Brown, he laid hands on her. And, and the power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit came on her. And basically just like, knocked her out. I mean, she, she said she lay on the floor the rest of the meeting. You know, it wasn't one of those little courtesy little, boop, okay, I'm back up. I mean, she was, she, was, she was hit by the power of God. And when she got up, the meeting had been over. The hall was empty. So she was out for like hours. And trust me, Rodney Howard Brown doesn't have 20-minute meetings. But she said, that the, the power of the, the anointing drove that thing, really that demonic thing that had a grip on her mind, it drove it out. And she was completely free. Hallelujah. Amen. However, just as not all healings, physical healings, are instantaneous, not all soulish restorations happen immediately either. For most people, it's a process. Not a single event, it's a process. And that's what a lot of people don't like. They just want someone to just kind of give a quick prayer and that's it, I never have any more problems. And like I said, thank God when that happens. But for most, most of the time, that's not the normal way. Now, Joyce Meyer has talked more on this subject than I think anybody in our, in our modern day. And I was, I was interested, one time I heard her say this, that um, she used to have a, a bad habit, it's, it's not a big deal, honestly, but she used to have a bad habit of chewing, crunching on ice cubes, like in a beverage that she was drinking. You know, she would chew on the ice. And, and as a result of that, she chipped all of her teeth. She had to have her teeth recapped. And she said she prayed and God instantly delivered her from that habit. And then she said this, that's the only thing God ever set me free from instantly. And she had a lot more problems than just chewing on ice. A lot of problems. But yet you see what God did in her life. It's, it's really amazing. Hallelujah. So I want you to look at a scripture now. James chapter 1 verse 21. Are you still here today? Come on, when you're silent like that, I wonder if you're really here or not. Hallelujah. I, I think that maybe some people's spirit has left their body. I'm concerned about that. <laughs> Check your neighbor. Make sure he's still breathing. James 1.21 says this. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able, which has the power to save your souls. Now, in this verse of scripture, I don't think James is referring to your spirit because James is not writing to sinners in the world. He's writing this letter to believers, saints in the church, his readers were already saved. He's not telling them, you need to be born again. But James uses, for the word saved, James uses the same exact Greek word in chapter 5 and verse 15. When he says, and the prayer of faith, notice it says, will save the sick. So, so it's the same word. And in this scripture, it's obvious James 5.15, it's obvious that what he really means is that it will heal the sick. It's obvious that's what he means. So we could say it this way, the word of God has the power 
to make you well and whole in your soul. So not only is God's word medicine for our flesh, it's therapy for our minds. See, Proverbs 4.22 tells you to, to attend to my words, you know, incline your ear, etc. For my words are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Proverbs 4.22 says that. But the word for health in Hebrew actually means medicine. Literally means medicine. So his word is, 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 is medicine for our minds. It is therapy for our souls. But <clears throat> you may ask or you may observe then why are there so many Christians, and there are, if you, if you really uh, investigate, why are there so many Christians who know the word and yet are deeply troubled in their minds? Well, James, in this passage of Scripture, chapter 2, gives us a few instructions which it might be helpful for us to look at in a little more detail. I read verse, uh, what is it, 21, but let's back up to verse 19, because he's still basically talking about the same thing. And he says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And many Christians do practice this verse in reverse. They're slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to get angry. Let every person be quick to hear. Well, <clears throat> You cannot hear any quicker than anybody else. You hear at the, at the speed of sound, and you, nobody here can hear at the speed of light. So that's obviously not just physically you hear something. The word hear in this verse implies the idea, and I think you can just know this without even studying it, that the word hear H-E-A-R, implies to give attention to. Be quick to pay attention. And the word also suggests listening. Wouldn't you think that listening is not exactly the same thing as hearing? Sometimes people in the church service, they hear the announcements, but they don't listen to the announcements because as soon as the service is over, they ask us about something that we already announced. And they were there, they heard it, but they didn't listen to it. Some people don't listen very well. If you want to be restored, you have to develop your listening skill. I think some people, they've had a lifetime of not really listening to anything. I think some people just live in a cushy, cushy culture where they think it doesn't apply to me. I'm the exception. It doesn't matter. There'll always be a way out. You know, don't pay too much attention to that. Well, maybe that's your experience, but that's not God's word. So I think you're, you have to be a better listener, amen, to hear with the intent of understanding. Some people hear with the intent of critiquing, comparing me with the last speaker. But that's not going to restore your soul. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And also listening and accepting what you hear. Now, he doesn't mean be quick to hear anything. There are some things you should be slow to hear. Like, like someone wants to criticize everybody in the church. Some people are quick to hear that. Quick to listen, quick to accept it, and quick to speak about it. He, he's talking, see, he said in the previous verse, uh, which was verse 18, he talks about we were, we were actually begotten, we are born again by the word of truth. That's what he's talking about, that we should be quick to pay attention to, to listen and receive, not my word, not somebody else's word, but the word of God. So, so therefore, you, you should be listening to discern, well, is that really what the Bible says or not? And if it does, then that's something that you should accept. And if you don't know, you should take time to study it and find out, well, is that really what the Bible says or not? Hallelujah. Amen. And then in verse 21, which we read earlier, he says, receive with meekness. So you have to receive the word. You can't, you can't get help from God by constantly rejecting what God says. If you want God's help, you have to agree with God. 
And that means agreeing with God often means disagreeing with yourself. I'm wrong, this is right. Uh, that, uh, I didn't get much of a response on that, hallelujah. And notice he didn't just say receive, verse 21, he says receive with meekness. So that means pride can hinder us from getting the help we need. And there's all kinds of pride. And one of the worst kinds is spiritual pride, which would be something like, I don't need to hear this. I know this already. Some people will tell you, I know this already. I don't need to hear this, you know. And they'll, they'll, they'll tell you kind of like their spiritual bio data, you know, how many Bible schools they went to and that type of thing. But who cares about your spiritual biodata if your life is a mess? If you're, on, if you're hooked on antidepressants and you're basically semi-suicidal, who cares how many degrees you have? Obviously, that it's, it's, there's something missing in your life. Amen. So we, we should always accept God's word. And I'm not saying that we have to accept, again, everything that everybody says, even everything everybody says, you know, from the pulpit or in a church service, but what God has said, you see, with, with humility. And that means you, we always need to have the, a teachable spirit. Like, there's more for me to learn, right? The more I learn, the more I see how much I need to learn right? You, you get to a certain point, and you think, well, I pretty much made it. And then you realize, oh, no, 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 you're just starting the journey. You know, there's a whole lot more for you to learn. You should, you should end your life still learning, still growing. If you stop growing, you stop going, right? Amen. Hallelujah. But then again, going back to verse 19, it says, be slow to speak. Everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak. We could say slow to criticize, slow to contradict, slow to give your own commentary on everything. You know, that's a good point for somebody. We'll preach another message right here for somebody. Some people just feel duty bound to just contradict and comment on everything. Do yourself and everybody you know a favor, and you don't have to say every little thought that pops in your little head. Here comes the meekness part. <laughs> Amen. I, I, I'm thinking of certain people. They're not here today. But they just are contrary. Whatever you say, they just have to say the opposite. If you say hot, they say cold. If you say cold, they say hot. If you say long, they say short. If you say short, it, I don't know. It's just kind of a, it's a pride thing. Try to be agree. This is another topic. But it, it wouldn't hurt to try to be agreeable with others as much as possible. Right? If somebody says, wow, it was really cold in the service, just say, yeah, 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 I hear you. And the next person may say, it's kind of warm today. Say, yeah, yeah, it was kind of warm today. You know, just try to be agreeable. <laughs> you know? Amen. Hallelujah. And then do not become easily offended. Be the kind of person where the devil would really, really have to work overtime to get you offended. I mean, it would just be like impossible thing for you to be offended. Don't be the kind of person who's just eager to be offended and looking for a good reason to get offended. He looked at me funny. I'm offended. Years ago, I preached a message on overcoming offense, and a lot of people got offended. <laughs> Are you saying I'm offended? Say you're offended because I'm talking about being offended. Amen. Hallelujah. You don't have to assume that everything everybody says is a, a personal attack. You don't, you don't have to internalize everything everybody says. Sometimes people just make an offhanded comment, and they don't even mean any malicious intent. They just might say, yeah, the, yeah um, whatever. The, the lunch was a little spicy today, and you feel like, ah. You're saying I'm not a good cook, aren't you? Well, I mean, you know, it, not necessarily. It was just, it's just a fact. It was spicy, you know. You don't have to just take everything as a personal attack. Amen. You know, how do you like this new dress I'm wearing? That's okay. 
You're saying I'm fat. Well, gee. <laughs> Not necessarily, I didn't say that. And then slow to anger. Now, why would James stick that little phrase in there? Be quick to hear, listen, pay attention, receive with meekness, and slow to anger. What? You mean someone could hear God's word and get angry? Oh, yeah. Like every Sunday. <laughs> Not everything that God says in his word tickles the ear. But remember, this is medicine, not candy. Come on, have you, has anybody here actually taken literal medicine and it tastes like candy? That's pretty rare. Usually it's like, my wife gives me certain things to help me, I guess, slim down or something like that different. She's like her own Naga pharmacist. She has her own, I don't know, special remedies. I don't know where she got these from, some old Naga legend or something like that. And none of them taste good to me. Like, she says, it's good for you. Eat it, drink it, you know. And medicine is like that, right? See, I think the thing is, instead of thinking, I've come here because I'm bored and I hope you entertain me, you should say, I've come here because I need restoration. Give me my medicine. It may not be always pleasant, Although we try to make it as pleasant as possible, it may not be always pleasant, but what really matters is not that you have an enjoyable hour, but a blessed life. Amen? Sometimes you hear the word of God, and like I said, it's a, that double-edged sword starts cutting. And you're going, ouch, ooh. And you're looking around, does anybody else know that he's talking about me? I hope not. I'll just say amen really loud. That way they, they won't know. <laughs> Who told him? <laughs> Hallelujah. Nobody. Then let's, it's going to get a little worse right now. Just, again, go back to verse 21. I didn't read the beginning of this verse. These are the instructions for, for God's taking God's medicine. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Wow, he's writing to Christians. Hmm. Let me read to you. Another translation, this is the remedy translation. And this is really good. Rid yourselves of the numerous influences that debase, defile, and damage the character. Whoa. Man, that is really good. It's so good it went over your head like a flock of geese. Let me read that again. Rid yourselves of the numerous influences influences somebody say influence influences that debase if something is debased it's like lowered it's 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 made less debased defiled means like polluted and damage the character so we're talking about restoring the soul let me put it to you this way and i say this like in quotes because i don't exactly mean it literally if you want to be restored, don't feed the demon. I mean, it may not be a literal demon, but I'm just saying it that way. Don't feed the demon. If you're struggling with fear, please explain to me why you would watch a horror movie. And sometimes even pay money to go to a cinema or theater to watch some god-awful, horrible thing so that you can spend the rest of the night tossing and turning in bed and seeing shadows behind every window. <laughs> Explain that to me, why you would do that. Hmm? If you and I, if you and I spent less time watching the news, we might be less stressed. I didn't say, you, here's the thing, if you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. If you do watch the news, you're misinformed. <laughs> hmm. Sometimes you're so angry you want to throw your shoe at the TV or something like that. You know? That's not true. If you're struggling with lust, 
Don't watch unseemly things on the internet. If you keep feeding your anger, you could wind up hurting someone over an insignificant little traffic kerfuffle, little, 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 little incident. Somebody cuts you off, so you cut his head off. Right? The sub Wala gave you one rotten tomato, so you strangled him. Took that pull into bag and wrapped it around his neck. And you, and you say, well, he made me angry. Now, you were, you were angry before you even went to the market. <laughs> it's just building and building like a, like a Hawkins pressure cooker. <laughs> Don't feed the demon. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, one translation of James, uh, is it chapter 2 or chapter 1? Chapter 1, I'm sorry, I said chapter 2 earlier. Chapter 1, verse 21 says this. One translation says, like it says, put away superfluity of naughtiness. It says residue of wickedness. Residue. That's interesting. Because a residue, think about it, a residue is a small hint of something that remains after the main thing is gone. A small little hint or small portion of something that still remains after the main event or the main thing is gone. For example, you drink, I don't drink coffee, but some of you may drink coffee. And so, you know, when you're finished drinking that cup of coffee, there's like a little film at the bottom of the cup. You can't just put that cup back in the cupboard because, you know, there's an aroma of coffee, we can t if they don't wash that cup properly, the next person will say, this smells like coffee, right? So we can be involved in feeding our soul with harmful things, but even after that's over, there's a residue of fear. There's a residue of anger. There's, there's like a little, there's still an aroma, a taste in your mouth that still re resides for some time. We got to get rid of all of that. Amen. And notice this. It's not just the word that heals. It's the implanted word. He knows the word. But it's not just the word that restores your soul. That makes your mind well and whole. It's the implanted word. Are you listening to me? Just because you've heard something before, that doesn't necessarily mean it's implanted in you. Let me give you a rather interesting example. Some people, in a, in a desire to improve their, their appearance, get surgical implants, right? They want fuller lips. So they, they inject whatever it is into the lip. They have fuller lips. <laughs> Sometimes they got too much, you know, just monkey lips or something. It's just really big. And some people get implants and all over, you know. <laughs> I don't know why, but, you know, I guess for whatever reason, you know. But so what that means is something was injected into them. It was inserted into them. It's not enough for you and I to be familiar with the Word of God. It must become a part of us. It must become a part of your soul. When it's a part of your soul, it's now the way you think. Now, I, I just have a few minutes left here. But you listen so well, you know, I just feel like... You're so quick to hear. I, I just feel like I have to talk faster, you know. One way the word is implanted in you is by meditation. If you will meditate, you will medicate. One way the word is implanted in you, it becomes a part of who you are is through meditation. So this is a very familiar scripture, Joshua 1.8. We often refer to it. And, and at the beginning of his 
ministry, his, the work God called him to do. God told him this book of the law. Or in other words, we could simply say the teaching of God or the word of God shall not depart from your mouth. But he said, you shall meditate on the word of God day and night. Why? Meditate on my word, God said, day and night, all the time. Why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. I think we could also say so that you'll be careful to say it. You'll be careful to think it. You'll be careful to act on it. You'll be careful to be governed by it. So why didn't God simply say to Joshua, Joshua, you've been with Moses all these years. You know the word of God, so do it. Because if you don't meditate on the word, you won't. It's not enough to know it. Unless you continually remind yourself of what God has said, it won't be real to you and you won't live it. Oh, that's good. Let me say that again. Unless you continually remind yourself what God has said, it will not be a part of your life. Amen. So when you meditate on something, you're bringing it back to your memory. You're bringing it back to the forefront of your mind. When you remember something, you're not learning it. You're not even relearning it. When you remember something, you're bringing it to the forefront of your thinking. For example, again, in my cell phone, I have, and you do too, I'm sure, I have lots of photos that I have saved over the years. But when I open one of those photos, it's now on the screen and it comes up in full color, big picture. There's a lot of things that are stored in your mind, but when you remember it, it's like opening that photo. Sometimes there may be photos, and I didn't even re realize I had that photo. That was so long, that was seven years ago, I didn't even remember that photo, but it's, it's, it's there. But you, you're opening things that God has already stored in you. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, just a few more points. We're talking about the restoration of our minds, healing of our minds, troubled thoughts and emotions, damaged emotions, and, 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 and uncontrollable thoughts. You need to understand the power of focus. You need to understand the power of focus. It is virtually, and that means almost, it is virtually impossible to focus on two opposites equally at the same time. To look all the way over here, focus there, and also focus here at the same time. I mean, I can switch back and forth, but I can't do both simultaneously. You cannot be centered in your thinking on God's mercy and at the same time be discouraged and depressed because of your own past mistakes. If you are depressed, you are not thinking the right thoughts. You have the wrong focus. You're looking at the wrong thing. Amen? You cannot focus on the hope God has for you and feel hopeless. So the best way to dislodge a bad thought is replace it with a good thought. See, in other words, instead of just saying, stop thinking that way. Well, I'm trying, but I can't. The best way is to, see, like if you're holding on to something, I'm, I'm holding on to this microphone. And see, like, you know, I, I have a tight grip on it. And, you know, I'm trying to, someone may try to pull it out, but it won't let go. But the best way to do it is to grab hold of something else. Are you listening to me? Amen. So um, in Philippians 4, 6, we're told, you know, don't worry, but pray right? And God's peace will, it says in Philippians 4, 6, guard your hearts and your minds. Hallelujah. Well, that's what we want. But then the next uh, verse 8, the next verse tells us something else, but think on these things. 
So what if I pray, I bring my supplication, my petition to God, I need your help, God, I want you to do this and this, but then I don't do verse 8, then you're going to be unguarded. You're going to be unguarded. Are you listening to me? So the Bible tells us in that verse what things are true, whatsoever things are true and honest, you know, and just and pure and lovely and of good report, etc., excellent, etc. The Bible tells us what to meditate on. So another quick point. You have, you, you got to know this. You have the ability to choose your thoughts regardless of your circumstances. You have the power to choose your thoughts regardless of your circumstances. You need to know that and you need to believe that. You might say, but I'm really struggling in that area. Well, just like if my arms are kind of weak, if I focus on strengthening my, my biceps, like at the gym, if I focus working on that area, I'll strengthen them. You may be weak in that department, but you can strengthen that muscle, so to speak, so that with practice, daily practice, it becomes easier for you. You have the ability to choose your thoughts. What we think on, what we meditate on, determines how we feel. So you could be a very strong, solid, you know, healthy individual, but if you think on the wrong things long enough, it will mess you up no matter who you are. You could, be, you could, have walk, you could walk with God and, and know God and know his word, you know, and have lots of experiences. But if you allow yourself to think on the wrong things, it will definitely mess you up. It doesn't matter who you are. See, Philippians 4, 8 doesn't say, finally, my baby brothers, whatever things are true. It just says my brothers, meaning all of God's people. Amen? Hallelujah. If we are not intentional in our thinking, we will default to the familiar patterns. If we are not intentional, that means you think this way on purpose, not by accident. If you are not intentional in your thoughts, you will default. You'll just go back to the familiar patterns, you see, amen. Just as we cannot improve our physical health by just eating anything, oh, John, you're talking to yourself now. Just as we cannot improve our physical health by just, yesterday was our birthday, I got two pieces of cake, it's not my fault, but I was just, you know, doing my part. Hallelujah, just as we cannot improve our physical health by eating anything, we cannot improve our mental health without a proper diet of thoughts. So like sometimes you give people something neat and they say, no, I, 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 don't, I don't eat that. I, that doesn't agree with me, I, you know, whatever. Well, there's some thoughts you should reject. I don't think on those things. There are some things you should not allow to stay in your mind for two seconds. And if you catch yourself thinking that way, you need to quickly eject that thought. Like you start seeing yourself strangling that person. You start seeing yourself shooting Joe Biden, just like that. Well, you, you, need to, you need to put that thought, you know, God will take care of him, put that thought out of your mind, hallelujah, because if you keep thinking on that, it starts taking root in you. And it becomes easy to think that thought. Hallelujah. I grew up in a family, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I'm just trying to help all of us. I grew up in a family that, generally speaking, had a negative viewpoint. In our family, as I was growing up, and God has changed them amazingly, but especially when I was growing up, it was easy for them to have a pessimistic viewpoint. It was not natural for them to be optimistic. I don't know if any of you had that experience or not. And, and, and so I was... I, I was conditioned to thinking that way because people around you influence you, especially when you're impressionable. And so it was not natural, even now, it's not natural for me to be a trusting person. I have to work at it. It's not natural for me to be an optimistic person. I have to work at it. 
And if I'm lazy, I will start to default to the negative way of thinking. If we will form the habit of thinking in agreement with God's word, we will think as he thinks and we will develop the mind of Christ. Then we will have a different perspective on life because two people can look at the exact same thing and have opposite responses or reactions to it. The, half, the glass is half full, a half empty type scenario, right? Meditation isn't something strange. Every one of us has an ongoing conversation within ourselves, even now, where we're thinking, when is he going to stop? You know, I don't really want to hear this topic, whatever. You know, we're always, all day long, we have an ongoing conversation with ourselves. You know, sometimes people are very critical of themselves. You know, they say to themselves, you're stupid. Nothing you do is right. I just, I, everything you, you're just a failure. They have this ongoing conversation with themselves. Or, 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 you know, everybody's against me. Nobody loves me, you know, et cetera. They're having this ongoing conversation. To be restored in your mind, you must change that conversation. It's not okay to think that way. See, a lot of Christians, especially, you know, people in the church culture, they think as long as I look good on the outside and I appear to be doing the good things, then that's all that matters. Wrong. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God's more concerned about what you think about than just what you do. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, the way we change that conversation is to immerse ourselves in God's word. The more time you spend in something, the greater degree of influence it has over you. Come on. Has this happened to you? You watch one TV program or one movie and for three days, it's still messing with you. I remember years ago, in the 1970s, you, you were just a gleam in your father's eye back then. But I remember years ago, the movie came out, Jaws, about the shark. Jaws, this, this giant shark. So I saw that movie in the movie theater. And then I don't know why, but two days later, we all decided to go to the beach. I'm not joking. You know, as soon as you stepped in the water, you could hear. And you see something. Whoa, 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 whoa. And, and everybody else saw the movie too. So one person went, hey. And everybody ran back on shore. <laughs> that residue was still there, baby. Even, you know, even years later, it's still like. Aah! Amen. The more time you spend, the more you give yourself to something, the more time you spend with a person, a place, a thing, the greater the influence is on your life. One last verse. <laughs> One last verse. Luke 1:46. And Mary said, "My soul magnifies the Lord." What a powerful verse. My soul. We're talking about the restoration of your soul. We're talking about dealing with troubled thoughts and damaged emotions. And this verse says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Your soul, your mind, has the ability to enlarge things. That they look bigger to you. See, when I look at maybe something through a telescope, like the moon, it looks bigger. It doesn't make it bigger. The moon is the moon, but it looks bigger to me. What I think on, focus on, takes a bigger place in my thoughts, in my soul. So if you constantly think about your problems, they seem to get bigger to you until they just look enormous. You're, you're praying that God would help you move the mountain but he says, it's not a mountain. That's just your perspective. It's an anthill. And it's no problem for me to help you to dust that away. 
My soul magnifies. Your soul is magnifying something. It's, it's looking for something to magnify. If you magnify all your challenges, if you magnify all your mistakes, if you magnify you know, all your sins, all your failures, then, then that's going to just take up a bigger and bigger place in your life. So you, get, you can get to the place that's, that's all you can think about. You, you can't see anything else. And even if somebody says, well, actually, you've done good, you won't believe it. But if you magnify God's goodness, magnify his power, his grace, his ability, his covenant faithfulness. If you magnify the Lord, he takes a bigger place. You can't make God bigger than he is, but he can look bigger from your perspective bigger in your eyes. I think the problem is we look at, you know, the, the obstacles in our way, the challenge we face, and they look enormous. And we look at God and he looks like a midget, like a little small dwarf. No, not, that's because you have the wrong, you're magnifying the wrong thing. Magnify, magnify God's word in your life. Just magnify it. How do I do that? Meditation, thinking on it, intentional thinking. Hallelujah. And it looks bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually those other things, they just look so small to you. You're like, that's, that's, not, that's not, no problem. I can easily overcome that with God's help. Would you stand with me to your feet today? Praise the Lord. And can we lift our voices toward the Lord and just thank him for his word?